Uh, as most of, well, as many of you probably know, my wife teaches Sunday school for the uh, up to the first graders, the three-year-olds to first grade. And uh, that's always kind of interesting, and we're always talking about what you teach uh, the kids that age and what you don't. And so last week, she was going through the first few chapters of Exodus, specifically Moses getting the, you know, the fiery bush, which is a lot of fun and exciting, and Moses getting these signs to go take to Pharaoh. And, uh, and she came to me after, after church yesterday, or Sunday, last Sunday and said, those things are creepy. And I was like, what? And she said, I, I've, you know, you learn this stuff as a kid in Bible school, and you kind of never really think about it, but like Moses was told to t- pour water out on the ground, and it was turned to blood. Moses was told to, to put his hand inside his cloak and take it back out, and it had leprosy, big open sores. Moses was told to take his staff and throw it on the ground and it became a serpent and I was like yeah Moses was going to Pharaoh and he was saying to Pharaoh you don't want this fight I'm telling you right now let the children of Israel go you don't want to fight this God it's going to go badly for you and it's, it's easy for us to kind of forget that, that this God of the Bible, it's written to comfort Christians, and one of the ways that it's written, reasons why it comforts Christians is by telling our enemies, you don't want this fight. Our God is not a well-wishing pen pal who is millions of miles off really wishing that we were better off. Just, I'm really sorry you're going through all these hard times. If I could do something, I would. Here's a postcard of how pretty it's going to be when all this is over. Sorry. Can't wait till we're back. By the way, the weather here in heaven is beautiful, and I wish you were here. I mean, that's, that's not what's going on. Uh, it is a book that is written to say, he who is with us is far greater than the evil that is lined up to oppose us. And he will do whatever it is that is necessary to rescue his people and his creation. We're going to get into the scary parts of Revelation now. Okay, let's be honest. First few chapters are nice and happy, right? Jesus amidst the, sk- the, the lampstands. This is the part of the, the, those are the chapters of Revelation that my mom would let me read as a child. You know, she said, you know, read through chapter five. Got, you know, the Lamb of God in heaven. Then let's just wait about the last, the next part. And, and then let me before we do that, let me just kind of give you an overview of how we interpret Revelation and, and what it means. There are four or five different ways historically that Revelation's been read and interpreted, specifically the prophetic portions of this book, which starts in chapter 6 and goes through the end. And uh, one of those is uh, the idea that everything in the book of Revelation happened in the first century, all of it. And, you know, uh, 666 was Nero, and 
uh, all the persecution that Nero did against the church, and it's all uh, ended with the destruction of Jerusalem, and, uh, and now what is happening is the coming of the new heavens and the new earth. That is one historic uh, interpretation. Another interpretation is that the book of Revelation has all of history. All of history is mapped out chronologically through the book. And there are people who will tell you, you, you name a point in history, right? You say uh, uh, the, the Black Plague, and they can tell you where that was in Revelation. That's Revelation 17.3. You know, um, I just made that up. Don't look at 17.3. I have no idea what it is. Uh, and and that's, that's a, another way of reading it. A third way of reading it is that everything in Revelation is future. But none of it's happened yet. Uh, and it's always just about to start happening. And that's, uh, that's a, a way that's always been around and has uh, really, it captures the imagination, right? These are the last days. This is what it's going to look like. And uh, that, that way it's kind of always um, kind of the pop culture way of reading it. But it's been around for a long time. Uh, as you may have guessed, none of those are how I read it. The traditional... Uh, historic, reformed way of reading the book of Revelation is this. All of it is what we call idealistic. These are all the, the, the ways of God dealing with his people through history. So it, all of it applies to every period in history. All of it applies to every Christian. All of us live in the tribulation. The tribulation started after the resurrection and is continuing until Jesus returns. All of it applies to how God deals with that tribulation and how he's using, uh, actually using the, the difficult things in history to build his church and to all build toward that day when all the saints cry out, uh, the, nations of our, the nations of this world have become the nations of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And so when we read this text, it's very much applicable to us today. And that is how uh, I'm going to be reading it for you as we, can, as we finish this little study on the visions of John, uh, the visions that John has of Jesus in the book of Revelation. So with that as a lengthy introduction, please stand as we read this. What is, what, what is one of the most popular uh, sections of Revelation and least understood? Hear the word of the Lord. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures with a voice like thunder say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And his rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius, but do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the four living creatures say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And its rider was deaf, and Hades followed him. 
And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw the altar of the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God. I saw under the altar. And for the witness of the, that they had borne, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long? before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Then they were given each a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig leaves as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne. And from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Thus far the reading of God's word, all men are like grass, and all of our glory is like the flowers of the field, and the grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's word. God's word stands forever. You may be seated. He who is with us is far greater than the evil lined up opposed to us. And he'll do whatever it is, is necessary to rescue his people and their creation. Uh, the first thing I want you to see, it's, it's very clear, but it's important that you see it and understand it. This is an invasion. It is an invasion of earth. If you'll remember the last week, we talked about the problem of the scrolls. And, and God has this covenant, this new covenant that he's ready to, to unroll. And he's ready to, to redeem all the earth and bring it to himself. He's ready to make peace with all the earth and, and renew it and rid it of sin and rid it of death. And restore it to the beautiful creation that he built it to be. But no one's worthy to open the scroll. And the lamb, we're told, the lion has conquered the Lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. He died and has risen again, and he is worthy to open the scroll. And John turns around and he sees the Lamb who was slain. And by his death, he has been given the new covenant. And it's so important as we read these, this text. It's been, I mean, it's been quoted for, from everything, right? The, the, the world championship wrestling, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the... Uh, the four horsemen of the Notre Dame backfield back in the 40s. I mean, the, the four horsemen. Everybody knows about the four horsemen. Pale Rider, the old Clint Eastwood movie. Uh, you know, the Johnny Cash song, uh, When the Man Comes Around, and he quotes this passage, and he's got that horse voice, and death followed him. I, I, I was really tempted to read it in his voice. Uh, and, but what everybody forgets when you read about these terrible, fearful four horsemen that are come to take away the peace on the earth, is that it's the Lamb who is sending. It's the Lamb who broke the seals. They're not the judgment of God. They're not here to destroy us. 
They are here to rescue us. Jesus is sending them with a purpose. And that purpose is to shake us. It's an invasion. Invasions are messy, you know? I mean, we all, you know, love the, the storming the beaches of Normandy and, and on June 6th, uh, uh, 1945. We love that story. We love the, the pictures of it, right? We love the, all, all the images. But I'm sure there were people in France growing a nice little grape crop, you know, they're just kind of, you know, since Germany's taken over, hadn't been that great. But hey, you know, at least everything's calmed down. I mean, can you imagine if you had a beach house on Normandy? You probably wouldn't have been too excited about all those bombs falling on it. I mean, it had to happen, sure, but it was messy when it happened. Or, or think about uh, surgery, you know, invasive surgery. Sure, you want that tumor out. Sure would be nice if they didn't have to, have to cut a big hole in you to get it to it. Invasions are messy. They, they bring destruction. God loves you too much to let you sleep through this house fire. He's going to do whatever it takes, and he sends his horsemen. The first horseman uh, traditionally has been interpreted as, as Jesus himself with a white crown on the white horse. He is coming in to, to take this world back over for himself. The second horse is, is violence. It's wars on big scales. It's, it's violence on a small scale. Uh, the third horse is, is, is uh, drought. It's, it's, it's really just kind of scarcity, and it's, uh, it shows economic disparity. Because you have some people paying a day's wages. A denarius was a day's wage. A whole day's wage for one day's worth of wheat. A whole day's wage for really cheap, nasty barley, if, you, if that was all you could afford to, to, pay for your, to feed your kids. But there's plenty of oil and wine for the rich. That, that economic scarcity. The, third, the, the fourth horse is death plagues, black plague, cancer, AIDS, COVID. Why, is, why would Jesus send those things? Um, Cheryl Crow was in concert here a few years ago, and uh, her band, her, her crowd, her, her fans are not really marked by their Christianity. Um, a lot of unbelievers, I like her, so I'm not saying that she's not you know, a bad person, but a lot of unbelievers, a lot of people who've kind of rejected the church and the traditional family, we'll leave it at that. Um, and she was introducing one of her songs, and this was not long after Lance Armstrong broke up with her. And uh, she said, well, this next song's about God, so y'all are not going to like it. And her fans kind of got quiet. And she said... But if your fiancé broke, broke up with you and you got diagnosed with cancer in the same year, you'd be looking for Jesus too. Why would Jesus send these things? To wake you up. He loves us too much to not put a fire alarm in the house. He's going to turn people toward him. And you know this. When do people turn toward God? When they're afraid. 
How many times have you heard the, the saying, there's no atheist in foxholes? When do people turn looking for God? When they're sick. And all of a sudden, you realize that life has an end. There's a period coming on this sentence. And I need to start thinking about what comes later. What do, when do people look for God? When they are trying to scratch their existence out to feed their families. And they know they're not strong enough. And one day of sickness, one bad sickness, might mean hunger for everybody. Jesus is going to wake you up and turn you toward himself. He loves you that much. He loves you that much. And that is, that's what's going on. And, and God has... It's working. I don't know how else to say it. Because Jesus has defeated death, because Jesus has defeated sin... Because Jesus has inv- in defeated evil, this, this invasion is working. Have you ever looked at the Bible and wondered why the Old Testament didn't work? I mean, you know what I mean, right? 2,000 years from a- Abraham to Jesus. How much did God's people group grow in that 2,000 years? Very little, a few thousand at best. How much has it grown in the last 2,000 years since Jesus' death and resurrection? Billions upon billions of people have called upon the Savior. It's a, it's a conquest. Conquests are messy. But conquests work. It's a conquest that's working. And it's different than you would expect, right? I mean, it's, it's weird to think that these four horsemen have been sent by the Lamb. But if you think about it, that's kind of how it works, isn't it? I mean, if you're a first-generation Christian, if you're the first generation in your family to, to name Jesus as your Lord, did your family just love that? Or did, did it, they convulse? Were they angry? When Jesus comes into the world, there's like this reaction. It's an invasion. Invasions are messy. That's how they were. And there's two responses to this convulsion. Um, there's those who hear and wake and there are those who refuse to believe uh, and, and there's there two different pictures of, of people in the world right? two different kinds of people in the world the first group are crying out how long how long now, who are these uh, this is the only picture we have or one of the very few pictures we have of what's going on in heaven right now with the souls of those who have died, have gone before us. They are in the temple of God, they are with God, and they are praying for us. They're saying, how long? How long are you going to let cancer rule over your people? How long are you going to let sickness and violence and, and drought hurt your people? When? When is it going to be all over? You can end this. Why don't you end it? How long? That's, that's what's going on. That's what your, your family who've gone on to heaven, that's what they're praying right now. They're praying for you. They're looking at all the sorrow and the sadness that you're going through, and they're saying, come on, put an end to this. When? When is it going to be over? When are you going to avenge us? When are you going to make everything right? And what's God doing? He's comforting them. 
He's giving them a, a robe of righteousness to cover uh, any shame that they feel. He's, he's healing them. And he's saying, just a little longer. Just trust me. Just trust me. They're not all here yet. They're not all here yet. I'm not going to put an end to this world until all of my children are here. And that's, that's, the, that's our big question, right? Why hasn't God taken every? Why hasn't he fixed everything? Why didn't he fix everything a thousand years ago? Why didn't he fix everything two thousand years ago? Well, if he had of, you wouldn't have been here to answer the question or ask the question. Aren't you glad he waited till 2021? You're included in the family. And he's going to wait until everybody is here. And that's probably going to be a lot longer than you think. And that's okay. And the, and the, and the beatdown may continue, but it's going to continue to turn people toward him. And, and we also see in here how evil is defeated. How evil is defeated. By faithful testimony unto death. What, how did Jesus defeat sin in the first place? By being faithful unto death. How do those in heaven, how do, they, how do they defeat evil? It's not through incantations. It's not through turning violence with violence. It's not through uh, trying to conquer those who are trying to conquer us. It's not through yelling and shouting and dramatic uh, performances. How is evil defeated? By remaining faithful unto death. Yes, I may be mocked. I may be made a fool of. I may be killed. Life is not the most precious thing in the world to us. But we're going to be faithful. We're going to be faithful unto death. Whether it mean loneliness or poverty or violence or ease and all the temptations that come with that. We're going to look at, in a few weeks, we'll look at the different ways that uh, Satan has attacked in, uh, in various ages. He's got three, uh, three tools that he uses. He uses power, violence, the beast. Um, we're not under one of those. That's not what's happening to us in this place, in this time. He uses um, false teaching prophet and and there is a lot of that there's a lot of lies being believed and that that seems to be increasing and he uses the prostitute temptation um, the sins of the flesh and we definitely struggle with that one and we're going to remain faithful unto death how do we defeat it by remaining faithful he, he comforts the, the martyrs by telling them it's not going to last forever. He comforts the, martyr, the martyrs by giving them the robe and, and uh, telling them their, their struggle is over. And finally and ultimately, he's, he comforts those in heaven by saying there is an end. There's a purpose. I'm using these things to gather your brothers and sisters together. And there is an end. It will not go on forever. And he shows us what that's going to be like, right, in the last... Uh, paragraph here, um, he says, um, "How long?" He, he begins to describe when the final bowl is filled, 
when God pours out his wrath and his judgment. And he will pour it out. That, that's what's kind of what's happening. That when the iniquity is complete, God's wrath will pour out and the final seal will be broken. And, the, and it's happening at all times, right? Anytime an unbeliever faces death, this final seal is being broken. And, and they're, they're feeling the, the, they're going to be subject to their just recompense. They're going to get what they deserve. There's an interesting passage in uh, Genesis chapter 15 that points to this. Remember when God calls Abraham to himself and he says, I'm going to give you the promised land? And then he says, but not yet. It's going to be several generations. You're not actually going to get it. Get it. And, and he says this very weird thing. He says, the sins of the Amorites is not yet complete. He says, it's going to take a few more generations for the sins of the Amorites to be complete. And then I'll kick them off the promised land and give it to you. And that's a picture of what's happening here. On one hand, when is God going to judge the world? When is he going to put an end to sin and evil? When all of his people are, are gathered in. And when the sins of the world are complete. And there's a, uh, it, it's a, it's like a picture of, it's a picture kind of like a modern water park. I don't know the last time you went to a water park, but there's always kind of this kid section, you know, which is just basically the coolest sprinklers in the world. And, uh, and then some of them, they had this enormous bucket. Have you seen one of these? And the bucket's just filling, and it's filling, and it's filling. And it's, I, mean, I, I mean, enormous, like the size of a car. And then when the bucket finally gets full enough, it's always slowly tipping, slowly tipping, slowly tipping, and then it just pours out hundreds of gallons of water, and all the kids are under it and screaming and squealing with joy. And, and that's kind of a, a, an ominous picture of what God is doing now. He is waiting until his bucket is full of justice, and then he pours it out, and he will wash them away with an earth-shattering event. Revelation uses language like earth-shattering, the stars being darkened. It's not necessarily, well, it's not literal at all. It's, a, it's the same as when you say an earth-shattering event, you don't really mean the earth got shattered. You mean history will remember this time. It's going to be the end of history. And even then, even then, they will not repent. What do they do? They flee to the mountains. They flee to the caves, hide us, but they will not flee to the Father. And if you look at these two seals, you see a very similar thing going on, but it's, it's completely different. And it's two different responses to the same struggles and trials of life. My pastor in Mississippi used to say, the same sun that melts butter hardens clay. Uh, the same struggles of life will will push you one way or the other. They'll either push you to God or they'll push you away from Him. And so the, the faithful witnesses, where did they all flee? They all fled under the altar. They fled away from, the, from, the, from justice, from the fear of God, under the altar of God, under the sacrifice of Christ, where they are safe, where they are, and they have their sins paid for and removed forever where the, where the sacrifice of Christ cleanses them and protects them and gives them life and those who are the enemies of God flee away from him 
begging mountains to fall on them. They would rather die angry than come to God and make peace. Like Ahab and, and Moby Dick, they cry out, from the heart of hell I stab at thee. I would rather die angry than say you were right. And that's the, that's the cry for us. That's the question for us. Will we flee to the altar? Will we let the sacrifice of Christ cover us? Or will we die angry? When we see sickness, when we see scarcity, when we see violence, will you raise your fist or will you kneel and pray? Will you flee to Christ or will you flee, to, flee away? Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would continue your work of claiming this earth. And we confess, Lord, that we uh, didn't think it would be like this. We didn't think it would be so messy. We didn't think it would be so hard. And when it feels hard, when we feel that, we, we want to think that you're somehow lost control. And Father, I pray that you would remind us that it's the the hands of the Lamb who is slain who's breaking these seals. And they hurt for a time, but their purpose is to heal. And we pray, Lord, even as painful as it may sound, Lord, would you do whatever it takes to claim our souls that we might be gathered in under that altar, that we might receive that robe that we might see your face. We pray in Jesus' name.